Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, saints. Can we put our hands together and greet our streaming family? Welcome. Welcome to Bethel. God bless you. Oh, my, my, my. I'm so glad to be here this morning. I, I'm, I'm locked and loaded. I got my John Wick guns and knives and... I'm ready. Oh, I hope you're here to be fed today. I, I want to encourage you in the name of the Lord. We're in a new season called A Macedonian Moment. And we're talking about the fact that we are standing on the brink of God opening doors that the church world has never seen and that we have never seen in our personal lives. And we found out last week that uh, the churches of Macedonia were all the churches Paul founded in his first missionary journey, the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica and the church at Berea. And they were the most generous-hearted people. Paul refers to the Macedonian church because their hearts were gracious, warm, giving, and generous hearts. And they loved God, and they loved his ministry, and that's all that mattered to them, that they would bless the saints and widen the circle of love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we found out last week specifically in Acts chapter 16 that often the greatest open doors of our lives occur after we've been through a season of closed doors. Ever had some closed doors shut in your face? Maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. Paul had four. Last week, we looked at his traveling companions, Silas and Timothy and Luke, and, and, and we found out that they are, they are uh, trying to figure out the will of God, and they're wandering in a 300-mile circle. Have you ever wandered a little bit? <laughs> the Helen Keller School of Spiritual Leadership. That's right. You're feeling your way. And we found out that Paul had an idea, and he wanted to go to uh, Mysia, and he wanted to go to Bithynia, and he wanted to go to four different places, but they walked about 100 miles, and then the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go in there. And God progressively led Paul by narrowing the lane through closed doors to the greatest open door of his life. Oh, beloved, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Paul was about to fall asleep in Troy, and it was the last place he could go after wandering around, and they didn't have any money, and they were exhausted, and the closed doors had exhausted them, and they wandered 300 miles in a circle, and finally, here he is at Troy, and he falls asleep, and he sees a vision, a clear directive, come over to Macedonia and help us. Don't you need that word right now? Come over to Des Moines, Iowa, and help us. You know, God does lead us, beloved. He does narrow the lanes. He does uh, close doors and open doors. But wouldn't it be divine to get a clear, definitive door? It's called a Macedonian opportunity, a Macedonian door. I believe the Lord's about to open a door clearly for our ministry, for our personal lives, and it's not just more fairy dust and magic wands and, oh, we're going to promise all kinds of wonderful things. We are in a Macedonian moment in our world. Don't look at the closed doors. Look at the open doors on the other end of them. 
And we're going to find out today that we're going to look at Macedonian hearts right now. I want to, I want to take a snapshot, and it's going to take me a while to get there today. But I want to paint for you the heart of the Macedonian saint. I want to talk about the attitude that we need to cultivate right now so that we can better soak up and appreciate and milk out every blessing God has in the future. Did you know that the best seasoning for food is hunger? Did you know that when you're hungry, every bitter thing is sweet? The Bible says to a man starving, every bitter thing is sweet. A Ritz cracker will taste just as good as a steak. And, but, but we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude. We as Macedonian saints, we need to cultivate a skill that the great Saint Abraham had. Let me read our text for today. We're going to identify and x-ray the Macedonian heart because we are a people of God, and we have Macedonian hearts. Genesis 15, 15, God said to Abraham, You, however, will go down to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. In Genesis 25, 7 and 8 said, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Abraham Lincoln once said, it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years. We're going to look today at, with Abraham came a new way of measuring time. It used to be in the ancient world that the measurement of human life was its duration, right? Like you read in the, in the book of Genesis, some people lived to be 600 years and some people lived to be 500 years. Well, with Abraham, we see a whole new measuring of time. Time is measured not in terms of duration, how long you live, how many years you live, but in terms of intensity. Notice the scripture says that Abraham died full of years. He died full of years. He didn't live a long life compared to the people that lived before him, but he lived a full life. And so with Abraham, his time, his life wasn't measured in terms of duration or extent, but in terms of intensity. Abraham had a skill of pouring the most amount of life in the least amount of time. We call it eternalizing moments. You know what I mean. You're having a beautiful meal with your loved ones, and, and it's beautiful, and the fragrance is lovely, and the taste is beautiful, and you're just marinating. We call it eternalizing a moment. When I go to Europe and I'm standing in Rome, I'm the only guy standing there with a strange look because I'm eternalizing moments. People think there's something really wrong with me. But, <laughs> but I say to him like Rodney Hartbrown, shut up, you ugly thing. What I'm doing is I'm eternalizing the moment. Have you ever spent time in places where you just are able to put the most amount of appreciation into a condensed period of time? Abraham lived his life that way. And the Bible says he died full. He pushed himself away from the table sufficiently, sophonsified, and he was able to dismiss all of his life because it had fulfilled every expectation. He was sufficiently sophonsified. That means, mmm, the best meal I've ever had. Mmm, that's the best cruise I've ever had. Do you see, There's Abraham had this ability of living and compressing 
so much into every moment he lived. And this is the heart. This is the Macedonian heart, beloved. As we're moving forward, we have to be able to cultivate a gratitude and an appreciation. Isn't it wonderful when you take someone out to lunch and they adore the lunch and they adore the fellowship and they're just so fully sated, they're so full, they're just, oh, they've milked every conceivable blessing off that plate and then, and then you have to take that last bit of bread and just get all that gravy. Amen. That's what we used to say to Arwen. Honey, I'd put you on a plate and sop you up with a biscuit. It's just that last little bit. Now, Abraham had an ability. And Macedonian hearts, they don't live extensively, but they live intensively. Isn't that a beautiful idea? You don't have to live for 5,000 years, but my God, can you pack a lot of living into the moments that you have. That's what God is wanting us to live in terms of because what he's about to do, what he's about to bring is a fulfillment so deep and so rich. Let me read you a text, if I could, from the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to tell you where it is. I just want you to hear because we're going to take a snapshot right now at a Macedonian heart. We're going to look at somebody who's so full, so complete, so has his destiny realized that he's able to die. Now, we have a lot of people that are suicidal. You know, kill me, God. You know, Job threw himself under a tree and said, Lord, let the day my parents conceived me be darkened and not occur. Have you ever prayed suicidal prayers? Well, here's a man that doesn't want to commit suicide, but he's able to die because he is fulfilled to the max. I bet you know where I'm going, some of you. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was a custom of the law requiring Simeon, he took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen thy salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light of revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people israel the bible says simeon had been in the temple all of his life and he was waiting patiently i've got a good word to god's patient faithful waiters you've been waiting for something you've been you've been waiting you're just waiting and you're the age you are, and you feel, I've never fulfilled my destiny. Maybe you feel that because you haven't yet. Do you know how many ministers I speak to, and they have a deep longing, which is to see a full fulfillment of all the words God gave them when they were younger. Well, maybe you feel unfulfilled because it's not yet your time. Maybe you haven't yet seen. Simeon was an old man. He was in his 70s. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit told him you will not close your eyes in death before you see the Messiah. That's a pretty big promise. So he's in Herod's temple and he's waiting and looking all the time. And at this time, there are about 100,000 people wandering in and out of the temple compound. And Simeon is there with, a, with an old lady named Anna. Okay, she was married seven years and then she's been divorced. She, her, she's been a widow for 84 years. This is an old lady, old man, old lady waiting, waiting and looking. Have you been waiting? 
Have you been looking? Hold on. The Bible says Simeon saw Mary and Joseph and the baby, and he takes that little 40-day-year-old child in his arms, and he says, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He goes, my waiting is over. Here's my meal I've been waiting for all my life. Here's my destiny. And he holds him up in the air. And it says Anna comes in, the old lady who's been fasting and praying every single day. And they're all in the court of the women where the, where the little widow gave her widow's mites. That's where they are. They're praying in that same space, small space. But boy, you've always got a Simeon and an Anna that have been there all their lives. Beloved, there's some people who've been waiting faithfully. God bless you. And you've been faithfully waiting and faithfully waiting. And you're not waiting for fairy dust and you're not waiting for magic wands. You are actually waiting for fulfillment. Amen. (laughs) Because you want to die full. But look at Simeon's response. This old man who's been looking and looking and looking and looking. And what all the people heard about for 4,000 years of the coming Messiah. He gets to see with his eyes. I'm talking to some people who are going to live to see with your eyes the fulfillments God promised you when you were young. You are going to live to see the move of God in the world that, that no one has ever been able to see. It's a beautiful thought. Simeon, everyone had heard about the Messiah. He gets to see him. And, and, and he's so full because his, his destiny is so realized. He's so fat and happy that he pushes himself satisfied away from the table and says, let me die now, Lord. It's not kill me, Jesus. It's I can die. Why? Because I have fully and completely fulfilled the will of God for my generation. What a beautiful thing. And it says, and then Anna came up and picked him up. And it says that she spoke of salvation to all those who waited and were looking. Did you know there are people who are in the temple and they're not uh, vapid individuals that are missing everything? They are waiting and looking waiting and looking. And Anna said to them, here he is. Look, you know, just hear about the Messiah. Come touch this little baby. Here he is right here. You're going to live to see the fulfillment of your greatest dreams and hopes. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Abraham is our example. He's our example of what it's like to measure time in terms of intensity, not the amount of years, but the amount of life in the years Now, I've got another example of this. Let me move my Bible off the platform here. Let me give me a room for my notes. People say Craig wants his own notes above the Word of God. I didn't say that. Listen to this. Abraham died full, the text says. An old man full of years, literally sated, satisfied not merely with life and all its blessings, but with living. The three clauses give an elevated conception of the patriarch's life as that of one who had tasted all the sweets and realized all the ends of a mundane existence and who accordingly was ripe and ready for transition to another sphere. Ooh, you, you, you leave because you're full. I, would you like a wafer thin mint? I can't have another bite. <laughs> Listen to what Andrew McLaren says. Abraham died satisfied. 
satisfied with having exhausted life's possibilities, having drunk a full draught, having nothing more left to wish for. The words point to a calm close, with all desires gratified, with hot wishes stilled, with no desperate clinging to life, but a willingness to let go because all which it could give had been attained. Ooh, what a tranquil idea. What a way to live. What a way to appreciate your food. What a way to, you know, as God's people, we should be the most grateful people, the most sufficiently sufficient. I had a relative in World War I, Uncle Rex, great, great, great Uncle Rex, and he used to say that. I'm sufficiently sophisticated. It's a Canadian phrase. It means you're so full, you don't even know what to say. And that's when you push away from the table. Listen, McLaren goes on. It is possible for us to make our lives of such a sort that whether they run on to the apparent maturity of old age or whether they are cut short in the midst of our days, we may rise from the table feeling that it has satisfied our desires, met our anticipation, and been all very good. He died full. Now, this is a whole new way of measuring life. And it is a cultivated ability. Beloved, I don't know about you, but I love the Word of God, and I cultivate a passion for it, and I love to study the Word, and I love to prepare these messages for you. And I'm always overloaded. I've got so many gleanings on my plate, I lose half of them trying to find them. It's a feast. It's a perpetual feast to me to open the book of God and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But it's such a rich backstory. So we're talking about Macedonian hearts. This is the characteristic trait of the Macedonian churches. It's condensed in this, the ability to live intensively. And and, and notice Simeon so was ready to go home because he so saw his destiny fulfilled. What an idea. That you drink until you can't drink anymore. Can't have another bite. No, if I take one more sip, I'm going to throw, I'm going to blow up, right? If I'm in Rome one more day, the Pope himself will have to pray for me. Sated, full. And we dismiss ourselves. Can we get you some more dessert? No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm fine. When I was on that last cruise, my God. They had a wheelbarrow. We went in the breakfast. They wheelbarrowed us out and fixed a room, took us back in. And they were tripping over themselves. I had six people at the table. Monsieur, would you like, you know, and they're bringing me things and they're putting more desserts down. And then there was a four o'clock tea with the string uh, quartet and they're bringing trays of scones around. It was like a meme. It was like a cartoon. And I'm like, well, I'm so sorry. If I eat any of that, I'm going to die of a sugar coma. But would you like just one scone? Look, look. This is what they're doing. And I'm like, going, well, ones I wouldn't want to be rude. <laughs> I pushed away from that table sufficiently and utterly sophisticated. You get the idea. This is the Macedonian heart. 
This is the trait that Paul saw in this church. It it prompted them to give their lives for the gospel. When they heard there was an offering necessary in Jerusalem, the scripture says that they gave themselves into the abundance of their own poverty, demanding, Paul, that they have a right for their cup to run over and for them to meet that need in Jerusalem. And Paul's like going, okay, okay, all right already. Do you remember initially when, when, when Moses uh, led the offering for the tabernacle? The Bible says that they'd plundered Egypt. And here are these people that have been slaves for 400 years, and they're coming out with gold, uh, slaves full of gold in the form of Egyptian gods, earrings, Rolexes, you know, just it was just a little much, you know. And, and Moses says at Sinai, hey, we're, we need a little offering here. I need some gold, I need some silver, I need some this, I need some that. And the scripture says, only time in the Bible, it says they gave so much that Moses had to command them to stop giving. That is my dream moment. (laughs) Can you imagine? Moses said, cease, stop. We have all the gold, silver, and thread, and everything I've on linden, and everything else. It's okay, we're good, we're good. That's rare, that's a rare, rare as hen's teeth. (laughs) But it will happen, Muffy. <laughs> oh, beloved, can you imagine? But see, generosity of heart always flows in this direction. Abraham lived in intimate communion with God. He lived so fully each moment that he eternalized every instance of his life. We have to milk every drop out of God's blessings the friendships we have, the communion we have at this church, the fellowship we have with one another. It's a feast every time we sit down. Every time I get to talk to one of you on the phone. Every time I think of coming here. It's a feast. And I get so excitable. And someone the other day had said, calm down, you're always so excitable. I said, it's a feast. Do you see that it's a choice? to live like Abraham did? Did you see? And did you know the Bible's filled with many instances of people who were God's friends and who loved like this and who lived like this? Listen to what the Bible says. Not only was Abraham one who lived like this, but the Bible says Job, listen to Job, Job 5, 26, you will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Job is seen as ripe corn in its full ear when it's bending over in perfect fulfillment and ripeness. And at exactly that moment, it's carried off in glory. Job had the same capacity. Did you know he went through his troubles in about nine months? He lived 130 more years with 10 times of what he'd ever lost. So this man was a full soul. This guy lived past his nine months and his heartbreak to be feasting the rest of his life. And the scripture says that not only was Abraham, did he die full and satiated, but Job died full and satiated. Now, you got to tell him that at the beginning of his book. Trust me, Job, Job 42.10. And when the Lord turned the captivity of Job, he restored much more. Everything was restored that he lost. God has the ability for us to die so complete that we're just like that gorgeous, heavy sheave of corn that's so ripe and full, it just has to fall because it's so ripe and he was so ready. 
It doesn't say he was hit by a bus. It says that he willingly laid down his life. Here's Isaac. The Bible says in Genesis 35, 27 to 28, Isaac lived 138 years, then he breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people old and full of years. Now, Isaac had one mandate in life. God said, I command you to eat, sleep, drink, and have children, and be the richest man in the earth. That was it. Isaac is recorded as doing nothing but that. Wow, what a rough calling, huh? What are your charismatic motivational gifts? Well, I'm the living link, and Gretchen wants to be in Isaac's tent, evidently. God just simply said, Isaac, I'll tell you, all you have to do is be the living link between Abraham and the future Messiah, and I just want you to just live and enjoy yourself forever. And he did. And the Bible says he died full, contented, and that's all he had to do was live in his tent and figure out what he's going to eat next and drink next and how many kids he could possibly have. What a rough, rough calling. You're suffering for the Messiah the future Messiah, Isaac. And it says he died full. Listen to David. First Chronicles 29, 28. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed a long life with wealth and honor. Oh my goodness, full. David died full. Acts 13, 36 says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with glory and honor and he died full, not empty. Yeah, we always loop his sins in our minds. Remember everything David did wrong? That's just one little moment to God. His general, the arc of his entire life was a man devoted to God's heart and doing God's will, God's way, and he died full. So isn't that wonderful? And there's another old guy in the Bible. I don't know if you remember him. We did a teaching on him. Jehoiada, Second Chronicles 24, 20, uh, 15 says, now Jehoiada was an old man full of years, and he died at the age of 130. Now, Jehoiada was a guy who was in charge of protecting Joash. Do you remember there was a time in the history of Israel when Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, was queen of Israel for six years, and she exterminated all the physical line of David. She killed every man, woman, boy, and girl of the flesh of King David because she was trying to stop the Messiah from coming, just like that spirit of Herod that tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem to stop the Messiah from coming, just like Pharaoh tried to kill Moses to stop the deliverer from coming, just like uh, uh, Haman tried to kill all the Jews at the time of the king of Persia in the book of Esther. That spirit, well, Jehoiada was the old priest, the Bible says, and his only job was to protect this little boy named Joash. He's six years old, and the Bible says Jehoiada, he took him, he spent his 130 years protecting the messianic seed of David. And you know, because of him, Athaliah died, this little boy became king. I call it the Joash principle. If you're absolutely necessary for the ongoing process of the kingdom and its fulfillment, you live. If you're not, there's nothing wrong with seeing eternity's day. What's so bad? If I live long, then I may long obey. But what is wrong with seeing eternity's day? Jehoiada lived a full life. He, another man, was full, and he was totally sufficiently sponsified. And what a thing to do to be able to let your ship go off into glory after you faithfully served God. And that man single-handedly protected Joash. If Joash would have died, there would have been no Messiah. 
it all got down to one little boy. Can you imagine? Slim pickings. If you had killed that kid, there would be no seed of David and no Messiah. Ah, that must have been a little pressured at times. Get you a little nervous tick here and there, Jehoiada. He died full too. Oh, beloved, think of this. We get to finish well. No matter how we started, we get to finish well. We get to finish full. We get to leave because we're through. And we're not going to leave until we're through. Isn't it funny how the devil tries to get rid of you and talk you out of life? You know, just go now. You know, you're nobody and you're nothing and you're stupid and ugly and your mama dresses you funny. and Take yourself out. Why is he telling you to take yourself out? Why is he telling you to neglect yourself? Why is he? I think he might be threatened. You know what the devil does when he's threatened? He throws tantrums. Irrational, illogical tantrums. See any tantrums in the globe? No reason, no rationality, just ah, screaming children. That's what children do when they feel they have no control. And that's what the enemy is doing right now. Because we found out last week, do you know why God has closed so many doors in your life? Do you know why he's led you by the way of negation? You know why he's closed doors on you to make you go new directions? Because he's trying to confuse the enemy. He doesn't want the enemy to know where you're going. Did you know the book of Exodus, chapter 14, says that God told Moses, I want you to take two million people and lead them into a cul-de-sac called Beth Safon. God knew Pharaoh and his army were watching Moses, and God said to Moses, Mo, I want you to take all the people and lead them up into that certain death trap, that cul-de-sac, because I know Pharaoh's watching, and he'll think you're walking into the meat grinder. And Moses obeyed, and he took them back the way they had come, and they went up into a little cul-de-sac where they were just shooting fish in a barrel. And Pharaoh, the devil, was confused. God, as God, <laughs> maybe God's got a bigger plan in closing doors for you sometimes. Because if you're confused, the devil's confused. He doesn't know everything. He can't read minds. He's guessing as much as you are. And that's why sometimes God will hide his work by hiding you. And, and you're frustrated, and you don't know where to go, and you don't know the next step to take. And God goes, I know, I know, I know. Trust me. Trust me. I'm leading you. Just as he deceived Pharaoh to come after the children of Israel because God had Moses lead them into a, in, into a, a cul-de-sac. <laughs> Doesn't sound like spirit-led guidance. It is. The enemy has been thrown off because God's been using you in a zigzag pattern, right? I didn't think I'd be here at this age. Well, wake up and smell the Bible. Paul was wandering 300 miles in a circle with his team trying to look good. I'm the leader. You know, they say if you're out, if you say you're a leader and there's no one following you, you're just out for a walk. Paul's the leader. He's the apostle. Hello? I am the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, guess what? They're wandering 300 miles in a circle, and just about the time they get within 50 miles of a city, the Holy Spirit says, oh, no, by the way, you can't go in there. 
Now, this isn't a walk around the neighborhood. This is 300 miles in a circle. Now, you could start getting a little angry. They have no money. They don't have a job. They don't have a lot of resources. And they're wandering in circles for 300 miles. That's a long way to walk in your little feet, especially when Paul's had been beaten and broken three times. Man walked over 1,600 miles in his ministry on foot all over the terrain. And you might want to think, well, God, why didn't you tell us we were going to wind up at Troy to begin with? Because I'm deceiving the enemy by how I'm leading you. He's just as confused as a termite and yo-yo as you are. Now, did you know in the book of Ezra, the Bible says, the Bible says that they came back to the city of Jerusalem. Now, they've been gone, right? for 70 years, and they come back, and the city of Jerusalem is in a shambles. It's nothing but pummeled stone. So there's nothing in the city except broken stone. And what is the first thing God tells them to do when they get back in Ezra 3, verse 2? He says, uh, you don't have a temple. It's all broken into stone. I want you to build an altar. What seeming use is another heap of stones amidst a city of ruin? Because God is hiding what he's doing from the enemy who's looking in. And he can't discern between the altar you're building of broken stones and the city of ruin that is in stones. Sauron just can't look and see. He can't discern. The wicked one cannot. He can look in and he just says, what's more broken stones? Why is God telling us to push more broken stones together in a city that's pulverized? Because he's hiding his work from the enemy in plain sight. I just see broken stones with the demons report back. And those idiots brought some more broken stones. Ah, Those broken stones pushed together are an altar. God is working. Right, in the, right under the enemy's nose, and he cannot discern it. Take heart, beloved. You're going to live a full life. But God, God is cultivating a real ability for us to be sponges. Now, you know, I've been using an imagery for years at church, and many of you remember it, building, digging a cistern. When you go over to Egypt and you go to the Valley of the Kings, there's a certain tomb of a great pharaoh, and it goes underground 450 feet. A cistern just goes right down. So all the water, where does the water go whenever it rains? The flash floods, they all go down, right? Many of us have been building cisterns all of our, digging cisterns all of our life. We've been digging cisterns. We're not digging for gold or silver or, or diamonds or oil or, you know, Texas tea, black gold, you're just digging because you're obedient to the Lord. And he just says, be faithful. Just keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And I've just been digging for like 50 years. And I'm thinking, well, I don't see any result. I haven't found gold. I haven't found silver. I haven't found much anything but more dirt. Oh, look. Oh, look. Dig, keep digging. Keep digging. Because, beloved, beloved, if you've been faithfully digging your cistern, that cistern can be filled in one day with a flash flood. God can fill a 450-foot-deep cistern with diamonds, gravy, Captain Crunch, anything he wants. Anything he wants. Oil. Whew. Molten gold. If you just dig the cistern. And you know what? I've been faithfully digging the cistern. 
And I remember one day I was, I, I had a dream that I'd been digging this in this cistern. I'd been digging underground. And I was so frustrated because I hadn't found anything. And the Lord said, Craig, did I ever tell you to dig to find anything? He said, I just told you to dig, son. I didn't tell you you're going to find. Yeah, but I heard, yeah, I heard other weird preachers telling me if I dig, I'll find diamonds or I'll find rubies or I'll find this and I'll find gold. When I dug, I found a wedge of gold. Okay, well, I've found plenty of nothing in a deeper hole. But the Lord made that clear to me. He said, honey, I didn't tell you to dig to get anything. I told you to dig to dig. And I've been doing it. Well, guess what now? He showed me that image. He said, Craig, in one day now I can fill that 450-foot cistern with anything I want. In a day, overnight. It's taken 50 years to dig what you're digging. You know, I've just been showing up in life, Craig. No, no. God takes all of your labor, all of your pain, all of your obedience as a digging of your cistern. Oh, it's deep, too. It's deep. And see, what's interesting is when the glory starts falling, everybody's going to want to start digging then. You do not start laying the foundation for your swimming pool with wet concrete in the middle of a hurricane. I think I'll start now building my Noah's Ark. No, it's already raining, honey. It took Noah 120 years to build that boat <laughs> when that first drop fell, right? That's not the time to start building your boat, but that's exactly what we do as fallen creatures, so don't worry about it. Everybody's going to start their cistern on Tuesday when the glory of God starts falling on Monday, but yours is dug. Come on, little Abraham. Come on, Macedonian hearts. You've been digging and you didn't even know it. And even when you fell, God's let you fall forward. And even when you just showed up, God said, I'll take that as 300 more feet of your cistern. Remember, the Bible says David wanted to build a temple to the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm sorry, you can't. But it was good that it was in thine heart. I'm going to count your intention and your desire to do it as equal to the fact. Isn't God good? Isn't he merciful? You just even think of doing something right this one time. And he goes, that's 300 more feet down for your sister. And you go, well, isn't that nice? Well, I guess I'm doing a good job down there. We need a heart that is so intensively grateful that we, like Simeon, we have vision that is hungry and thirsty to see divine appointments. We have souls that are passionate about the things Christ is passionate about. That's a Macedonian heart. And Abraham models it. And he died ripe. Job died ripe, full. Isaac died full. David died full. Jehoiada said, oh, my God. It's like you're able to look back over your life experience. And see that everything, you've tasted everything you need to taste. You've had everything you need to have. And you're just able to lay there in the bed and go, ah. don't you want to be content? Don't you want to be content and comfortable in your own skin? What are Macedonian hearts? Well, here's some traits. Number one, they're comfortable in their own skin. Macedonian hearts, they're just comfortable. It's like, you know, I tried most of my life to be somebody else. I'm totally specially sponsored. I'm happy being me. I'm going to die content. I'm going to finish my course. Paul put it this way. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith here and has laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. That just judge is going to give me on that day. I'm poured out like a drink offering and I'm ready to go, he says, to his young disciple who's going to take over for him. 
He said, I poured it all out, and oh, am I sufficiently sponsified. And when he was ready, he laid his head down on the chopping block. They didn't take his life. He gave his life at the right moment, utterly full. Paul died well. Remember, he finished well. Remember, Samuel the prophet finished well. They are full. Macedonian hearts are comfortable in their own skin. Macedonian hearts are originals, not copies. Oh, my, 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 my. You know, we need a whole generation of originals, not copies. We need Renaissance hearts. Those are the Macedonian hearts God is bringing to the world. Where are the Michelangelos? Where are the Da Vinci's? Where are the, where's Bach? Where's Brahms? Where are Beethoven? Where, where, where? God is not finished, beloved with this world. He's not finished yet. He's going to bring up a whole legion of Macedonian hearts that are going to shock the earth because we see those as all petrified versions of the Renaissance. God says, I'm not finished with the earth yet. You wait and see, beloved. Macedonian hearts are originals. They're not copies. They're voices, not echoes. You want to be a voice, not an echo. You don't want to be a second-rate version of somebody else. You want to be a first-rate version of you. Do you. When you're full and you're comfortable in your own skin and you just go, you know what? I may not have what I don't have, but I do have what I do have, and I've got Jesus, and I'm, I'm going to walk around sufficiently sophisticated. You're not a chain-smoking chihuahua. You're not biting all your nails off. You're not always, oh, you know, the more content you seem, the more people catch that contentment. Most things in life are caught, not taught. You can say you have mumps, but if you have measles, you communicate measles. And Macedonian hearts are full. Their voice is not echoes. Their originals, not copies. They're friends of God who know how to live and who know how to die because they can eternalize moments in every instance of life. That's a Macedonian heart. That's the attitude God's cultivating. So you're going to see this mature group of remnant people that are actually at peace, actually full, actually they, they give out of a posture of rest. They give out of a posture of fullness. Remember David said, my cup runneth over. You know, God's idea of giving is not like taking out the last drop of water in your cup that is for you. He's into the champagne at the wedding where you pour the one champagne glass full and the two underneath that get filled and the four underneath that get filled. And before you know it, everything's equally filled and equally full and there's an overflow. That's my cup runneth over, David said. Our giving is to be of our overflow, of our peace, of our rest, of our knowledge of God of the way we react to life circumstances. People are watching, beloved. If you don't think so, just screw up. Everybody's watching how you succeed, how you fail, what happens when you, when you, I remember David encouraged me one time. I was going through a difficult season and David said, you know, Craig, he said, I think what you're walking through now, it's like you're, it's like you're walking through this pit, but it's not about you. It's about the people that are watching and looking in at you and watching how you're conducting yourself. You know, sometimes we think it's, uh, you know, Dr. Phil said the good news and the bad news. Good news is not all about you. Bad news is not all about you, right? Sometimes what you're going through and the weather that's hitting you isn't about you anymore. You have an audience of people watching how you succeed, how you handle setback, how you handle a divorce, how you handle a no, how you handle a, a, an illness, how you handle a recovery. Uh, you land on your feet. 
like a cat. I had to throw that out for Gretchen. Amen. God bless the cats. I knew I'd get one out of her. Not with scripture, just with a cat mention. Can we eternalize moments? Can we be known as that person? You don't have to have an extravagant, sanguine personality. But I'll tell you what, when you're on fire, people get on fire. When you're warm, they get warm. When you're, when you're full of excitement for the Word of God, it's contagious. It's contagious. And that's how Abraham lived his life. And that's the Macedonian heart. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. He said, look, I know you guys have a lot of talents, gifts, and abilities, and a lot of weirdness in your church, but let me tell you about the hearts of the churches in Macedon. Ooh, they're like Abraham. They're full. They're not ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They are so grateful with everything God gives them. They make the most of every opportunity, and they become windows to eternity, traveling windows to eternity. Wherever they're around, you're encouraged, you're refreshed, you're built up. When you talk to them on the phone, you walk away a better person. There's something about people being a life-giving source. They're like Abraham. They're living intensively and intentionally. With whatever you don't have, you can still have peace. Remember Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I to you. I've talked to some dear saints in the Lord recently, and they're going through difficulties and they're going through struggles, but I'll tell you what, they have a peace the world cannot give. Those Macedonian hearts are being filled with corresponding Macedonian blessings. You remember I mentioned uh, the first week of our study, we're on the threshold of receiving Macedonian rewards. If God considers all you've given of your life to his cause, as a deep, weighty thing, he's going to give you a deep, waiting, corresponding gift. A weighty gift. A weighty gift. Now, you know me and my collectibles. God lets me have a Napoleonic collectible. I'm good for six months. Eight. I got another one coming in this week, tomorrow. Jesus, hold on. Shitadabaha. Do you know God knows exactly what flips your switch? God knows exactly what brings you delight. God knows exactly what brings you joy. Just moments of where you light up inside. Well, we have to be an appreciative people for all that he, with all that he's given us. And the more we spend time, we become contagious to one another. Macedonian hearts, beloved. Because what he's about to do is the tastiest, most delicious, most magnificent meal he's ever set before his people in the earth. And we get to see it like Simeon. And some of us have been waiting and looking our whole lives for this. When I was five years old, the Lord spoke to me. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was 1809 Oakwood, Fairmont, Minnesota, standing in the backyard. And I was looking up at the trees and this light came and appeared. And, the, and I was not raised with the Bible. I didn't know anything about God. And this beautiful, warm voice said, when you're older, you're going to serve me, and you're going to be a part of the greatest outpouring of God in human history. And I ran, scared to death, pooped my pants a little bit. <laughs> you know, I looked that home address up the other day, 
and I looked at the stairwell. It all looks the same, and they had the thing where you could see every room in the house, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking through every room in that house, in the room I ran into and where the bed was when I'd heard that, and I ran in the house, and I ran under the bed, and, and every time in that house, I would go to read a book about the Bible. We had a little yellow book called People Who Knew God. You can still find it online people who knew God, little yellow book. Every time I took that off the bookshelf, never read it, didn't understand a thing, but I'd open it and that same warm presence would say, when you're older, I'm going to use you and you're going to serve me. You're going to be a part of the greatest outpouring of God. And I'd shut it, put it back, and I'd put the covers over my head. Every time I opened a Bible, I had that same voice. It was like, okay, positive reinforcement. I get it. Pavlov's dog. Okay. But it was so beautiful, beloved, and I had no religious upbringing at all. But I, I have not yet seen that fulfillment, but it's coming. And I'm watching, and I've waited my whole life. I'm 63 years old, and I've been like Simeon and Anna. I'm looking, I'm waiting, and that's all I say. And Grant's a smart aleck, my son. He says, Dad, what are you preaching today apart from we're standing on the brink of the greatest outpouring of God in human history? I said, I'm preaching on children that get whipped in public <laughs> and children that are whipped while standing on the brink of the greatest outpouring of God in human history. <laughs> you little. I raised him. He's my boy. <laughs> Keep looking. Keep waiting. His promises are true. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken and shall he not do? Has he said and shall he not make it good? He's worth his word. What others have heard about, you will see. Jesus said to his disciple, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what you see and have not. Did you know that Rahab, the harlot, was living on the walls of Jericho? And the Bible says that Rahab watched the children of Israel as they crossed the Jordan. And she, with her eyes, saw 500 years of fulfilled prophecy right below the gates of Jericho. Because God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 15 that all of your descendants are going into Egypt for 400 years and then they're going to come out wealthier than, you, than, than they went in. Did you know you're going to bring stuff out that you didn't take in? You're going to come out. And she stood there and watched after they all that fulfillment to, to Abraham. About 500 years worth of prophecy. She's seeing as they cross the Jordan because they'd already come out of Egypt and they'd already gone through the Red Sea and they already wandered for 40 years and they already came and killed Sihon and Og and then she saw the waters part and they walk over and Rahab was privileged to live in the season alive that could see 500 years of fulfillment in her lifetime. And I believe that we are going to have that same experience that Rahab had. It's rare. Can you imagine her? What are we watching? We're watching 500 years of prophecy that God spoke originally to Abraham in Genesis 15. There it is. And the two spies came right to her house. And they said, you put a scarlet thread in your window, honey, and identify who you are. And these walls are all falling, but your place will stand. Beloved, you're going to live to see some things. Amen. I want to bless you. I want to pray for you. Cultivate the Macedonian heart. You already have it or you wouldn't even hear what I'm saying. But now you know what to call it. 
In fact, and remember, when Mike posts these wonderful messages, you can go online and the notes are there. All the notes are written out for you, preachers, and anyone else. You can go when these are posted, click the sermon notes, and everything is there and more to guide you and refresh you and encourage you to live a full life. You're going to die ripe like Simeon. Isn't it something? He was told, your eyes will not close in death until you see the Messiah. Now, we don't know what Simeon was expecting when he was looking and waiting. He probably expected a 30-year-old to come up, an adult. That'd be more sensible, right? He gets a 40-day-old infant wrapped in a burrito roll. Oh, I'm sure that, you know, probably shook him up a little bit, like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) But he said, here he is. Here's the fulfillment. Let thy servant depart in peace. I'm pushing myself away, fully satiated from the temple. I can go now. The table, I'm done with it. Would you like any dessert? Nope. Check, please. I'll take the check. Father, we thank you right now, God, for all of the precious lambs today who have been watching and waiting for years. They've been, they've been promised things, and they've yet to see the fulfillment, but they've cultivated these beautiful Macedonian hearts, these beautiful, they're living ripe, full, complete lives, Lord. And we pray that you would touch our hearts, God, And that you would give us uh, the passion to continue looking and waiting and continue watching, God, for all you've promised. Because not one of your words fall to the ground without fulfillment, Lord. I encourage your precious daughters right now, God, that you would encourage the hope of their heart, that you would fan again with fresh passion their, their, their fire in the altar of their heart, Lord. That you would just a double dose of the Holy Ghost of encouragement upon your precious daughters, Lord. Fan the flame up into a blaze, Lord God. That they would feel content, that they would, a new contentment would enter into their being, top of the head to the soles of the feet. A new fulfillment would enter their very souls, Lord, as daughters of Eve. That they would, from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, feel a fresh touch of fire from heaven, of an infilling of the Holy Spirit, a double dose to the Holy Ghost from coast to coast, Lord, inside, within, without, wall-to-wall Holy Spirit, Lord, that you visit them with a new fullness so that they live from this full place. They will feel ripened, Lord, and fulfilled as they look back at their lives. For your beautiful sons, Lord, all the sons of Adam, that you would crown them, Lord, crown them, Lord, on their heads with a new sense of fulfillment, that they haven't died unfulfilled or they haven't failed in their life journey, that they are exactly where they need to be right now and on time, and thank you that your word will be fulfilled. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will accomplish that for which I sent it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. Isn't he wonderful? You little Macedonian hearts, that's what you have. That's who you are. That's who the remnant of God's people in the world are right now. You can be at peace when everybody's running around crazy. Everybody's running like a head with their chicken cut off. They're running around everywhere. The sky is falling. The chicken little spirit, guess what? You see God's Macedonian hearts, they're just wandering around at peace. God is in charge. My God is in control. Amen? And you know how beautiful it is? You're a living window, a mobile window to eternity. 
You start talking to them, they get calm at the lunch, they, heaven starts coming down, rain begins to fall on their souls, everything is well, and then you leave and they go, wow, I just drank from a fire hose. What's that? Contrast in this time is, is manifesting God's precious children. Amen? There are, remember, there's two kinds of people, people who know God and people who know people who know God. Paul knew God, Demas knew Paul. Abraham knew God, Lot knew Abraham. It matters right now that we altar builders are building our altars calmly. Keep digging your cisterns calmly, calmly, but they'll be filled in a moment. David, can you come and bring the table of the Lord? We love you. If you have any prayer requests, you can contact us. We'd sure love you if we're feeding you to feed us and support us if you could. Pray about it. Maybe you don't give to a church at all or you don't tithe anywhere. We'll take that gladly. You can just go to our website here. The post is there. It's easy to find. You can sow a seed. If we're blessing you, be a blessing to us. God bless you and yours. Take heart. Good news is ahead. Good things are ahead. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.